All right. So in hindsight, is there something in regards to mental health that you felt wasn't properly explained in your household growing up? Is there a place where you felt like, hey, I needed more information in this area? And if so, what did that look like for each generation? Well, there wasn't any discussion of mental health. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to think. The only time we really talk about uh, mental health and I always connect mental health to trauma, some type of trauma. And so when you deal, when trauma was dealt with in my generation, you deal with the things you can see, you know, you take, go to the doctor, you got a cut, you got a whatever, and you fell down, it's something you can see. But when you start talking about um, the trauma, mental health issues that are caused by trauma, nobody pays attention to those things because you can't see it. So if you think that something is going on, you know, when I was young, my mother would pray it away. You know, you just pray. If you pray, it'll be all right. Lord, take care of it. You know, don't be talking about going, you don't need to be going to no doctor for no, no somewhere on your head. Because I remember when my sister had a, um, a tumor, and she had this tumor for, she graduated from high school and up in, she went to college. So probably about 12 years. And this woman said to my mother, your, your daughter needs to talk to somebody. My mother's like, talk to somebody about what? And I'm, I was younger. So I'm standing there listening to this woman who was a teacher say that to my mother. My mother didn't think anything was wrong with her. And I'm like, but my sister got something in her stomach. We didn't know it was, I didn't know what it was, but. But my mother didn't see anything wrong. She just said she'd pray on her. And so my sister carried this. She looked like she was eight months pregnant for years. Wow. And my mother ignored it. And the only time it was addressed was when my mother was not around and my sister couldn't take it anymore. And this was years later and I went to the hospital and my sister wouldn't let and I'm the middle child, so I'm the one that everybody connected with. So we take her to the hospital finally. And she wouldn't let them touch her because in her mind, she lived with this all these years. And that was something wrong with that. <laughs> but again, nobody really talked about it. So it was, so what I would say is in my generation, the best, <laughs> the best way to deal with mental illness was to ignore it and act like it wasn't happening. Because if you ignored it, and you act like it wasn't happening, then it would go away. Because that's what that's what people thought. I'll pray on it and it'll go away. And not saying that, because I believe in prayer. I'm very, I'm a very strong believer in prayer, but also I believe in um that prayer gives you the strength to do something to help you to deal with the issues that may occur. But that's not how my mother saw it. So I also find that you what happens is then you go out into the world and you see how other people deal with life. And then you realize what you grew up with and what you were taught to believe may not be the best way. And so you make other choices because when you go away to college, you find out things that you didn't really know were anything wrong with. So when I went away to college and I see how people deal with things in a different way, that's when I started to think, well, maybe what mom told me wasn't, Right. So it's, it was a, you ignore it. And either you take that with you and carry it through your adult life because you brought up with that way of thinking, or you open your mind to other ways of seeing the world because you meet other people who help you to see the reality. 
And that's what happened to me. I met other people. I went through school. I started to realize that I needed counseling, you know, so I didn't get my trauma dealt with until I was almost 30 years old, you know? And so, and I did it because I realized I gave myself permission wow. to deal with it. Because that's the other thing. Because if, you, if you're grow, brought up a certain way, and especially if your parents are still alive and they brought you up to believe something, when you do something totally against, that's how they see it, against what they taught you, then there's this whole thing that happens to you as a result of that. You are, oh my God, am I, you know, going against the family? Oh my God. So you deal with that as well. So that's also traumatic. And so you're dealing with the trauma of going against the family value of how you live your life. Plus you had a trauma that you never addressed. Right. And, you, and you're going on trying to deal with the trauma of the what you never address and the trauma of trying to get the assistance and help because you know you're suffering from something. You know there's something wrong with you. I knew there was something wrong with my sister, but it had gone so long. It was too late for her. It was too late for her because living around that was mm -hmm. traumatic. You see your sister with a tumor and no, there's a tumor, but looking like she was pregnant for years. And so as a result of that, she looked like a, a, a Haitian refugee because her hands and arms were skinny and the only place she was growing was in her stomach. And so we're standing, we're all gotten used to it. So think about how you're getting used to something like that. When mm -hmm. I'm stepping away from it and I, um, I heard this, this one kid was talking about the thing. You don't realize you're being traumatized while you're in it. You don't realize you were traumatized until you step outside of it and you see, oh my God, how the hell did we get through that? And then you start to heal. Because when you're in it, you don't even know you're suffering. You don't know the wound is open. You don't know nothing. You don't know you got a big hole in your head until you're away from it. You say, oh, I lived with a hole in my head for years. How did I ever get through it and, and be normal? I'm talking to you now. I'm laughing about it. I don't have any permanent, oh my God, I don't hate me. Ah, 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 none of that. Because at some point, um, if you allow yourself to get through it, the other part of getting through it is not dealing with the shame of it. Wow. Walking around with that, that was a little shameful. I was scared. I didn't want people to see her because there was something wrong with my sister. And so then you deal with your shame of being ashamed. Because I was ashamed. I didn't want nobody to see my sister like that. And so that was my stuff. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? So I had to come to terms with a lot of different things. But in my generation, my time, my mother, dealing with her, if you ignore it and pray on it, it'll go away. <laughs> if only it was that easy. <laughs> you know, if only, you know, but, and I believe that's how Black people were. That's how they, that's how they survived, is that they just prayed on it. And if I pray hard enough, Lord will deliver me. And when he don't deliver me, it's just not my time. You know, if I'm not delivered today, that's it's not my time yet. If I'm delivered tomorrow, then it was my time. But that's how they saw. That's how they saw the trauma of their lives. Because we were traumatized. I was traumatized. And now I'm laughing about it now because I take life in a totally different way. I'm, I'm very cooled out about stuff. Because all that trauma started to manifest with me physically. Physically. 
like having to be on medication and now it's like oh my goodness but yeah so that's what it was you ignore it it'll go away and the lord will deliver you in some form i just don't know how <laughs> but now i do i do and i'm good now yeah great that was amazing. You've gotten to a lot of different levels. I, I like um, the the point where you became um, more self-aware that that was even an issue when you went off to college, right? And you were able to see other people. You're like, hey, something's not right, right? <laughs> um, when you got out of it. Um, so Ms. Sheila, would you like to speak to that? You know, I think it's hard to follow. <laughs> Madam Judy, after, after you know, sort of what she said, there's some from profound pieces there. And so you said take off after college. I think, you know, in the 80s when I hit college and I'd grown up sort of, you know, at home, we were looking back at it now because I thought about this from our last conversation. There were people in the community and the family that folks like, that's just how he is or she is, just go on, you know. And we like, we acknowledge there might be something different, but you just go on. And um, and then when I got to college, there was such a focus on success and making it and doing well and knowing your history um, that I, I, I was wondering, I knew where the health center was on campus and all the other, and the library and other places. I know there was a counseling center. I know there was, but I don't know I was, I don't know anyone who went to it at one, during my undergraduate years. And, and we more than anything else sort of, sort of helped each other. If you're feeling down, hey, let's go do this or let's go out and, you know, um, um, sit, you know, out. And so we, I think we found ways to cope with sort of the stress of college, the stress of whatever we brought with us to college at 18, you know, or, or 17 or 19 or whatever. And we got through because, you know, we got on the plaza, we danced, we'd have a good time, we'd go out, we hung out together. But underneath all that, I'm just thinking, counseling and the idea of sort of, of course I knew about it and the, uh, you know, knew about the concept of it, right? Um, but I, for me, it was graduate school. And I was, um, it was after, after the undergraduate, I went straight to graduate school. And that is probably, that is where, you know, I met, you know, folks who were therapists, folks who were working with the students that I was a graduate student teaching. Uh, I'd send students over. I'd recommend that they, they go to counseling or talk to them about their stress and anxiety. Uh, at the time I was teaching public speaking. So we talked about anxiety. And, and then, so gradually the realization that I had my own stuff that I needed to unpack and talk with somebody about. It was a gradual experience, like I said, and it wasn't that I was not aware. It's just that my level of awareness about what I needed to do mm -hmm. for me was still shaped by this, you'll get through it if you just gotta be strong. The, the pray about it piece, that was a message to Judy that I got. Um, you're a black woman, you ain't got time for that. You got stuff to do. Right. You're not gonna let this get down or sleep it off, take a nap and get up and do what you gotta do. Either way, it was simply you keep moving. And so the idea of 
oh, I remember in this class what we were talking about, and this was in graduate school, the idea of the superwoman, um, the super black woman, um, the and all the other stereotypes, the angry black ones, whatever. But either way, it was the the survivalist, right? And I remember reading Zora Neale Hurston's of Mules and Men. Mm-hmm. And Hurston, you know, tells folk tales in that particular book. And she collects them. She'd collected them from all over this, from the, from the South, from Florida, but from other places too in the South. And there is a folk tale where that title is called Of Mules and Men. Women were the mules. It was the, the idea of Black women as the mules of the world. The women who kept going no matter what. And there's even this folk tale where she sort of gives this hierarchy of, of master, Mrs., the black man, and then the black woman at the bottom, and sort of the one who holds it all up and works and just keeps moving forward. And, and I remember thinking that I actually have a copy of that. And um, I could tell the whole folktale, but I want, but if anybody ever wants, Of Mules and Men by Zora Neale Hurston, we talk about their eyes for watching God and other stuff that she's done. And you see that idea, you see it with the character, Janie, who just keeps going, no matter what's going on and dealing with her own pain um, as best she can, or not even recognizing it, she's just trying to survive. So I think for me, yeah, it was definitely college. It was later. And then as life after college, as I sort of started to deal with stuff that came my way, that was reawakened, that reawakened or was connected to trauma that I witnessed or seen as a child. And then it was like, oh no, that's an anxiety attack. I got to get help for that. So Mm -hmm. that piece was the idea that I couldn't, I had to get over the fact that something in my life had gone off the rails enough for me to have an anxiety attack in broad daylight at Kmart, for me to be willing to go right. and get counseling. Cause that experience was not pleasant. I didn't know what was happening. I've had other people describe what it felt like when they had one. And, and that was one of the things that sort of pushed me to, you know, to actually get counseling and to talk through it with someone because in the beginning it was really, you'll be all right. you'll you'll get through it, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it does take a stepping outside, being willing to learn more, being willing to um, seek help. But sometimes seeking help comes when we sort of get, we hit a wall, right? You got, you hit a wall. Even if we know about it, like I learned about the need for therapy early on, right? Uh, early on, and well, I'm saying in, in my 20s, when I got to graduate school, we talked about it more, but I had been aware of it. I read books, love, you know, so I was aware of it. But how I connected to it personally really didn't happen until I needed to actually figure out what was that and how can I make that not happen anymore? Because I didn't want to do it again. How about you? I was going to say, um, we got a little bit of the prayer because my uh, granny, like she took us to church, um, me and my cousins and, you know, my parents took us, but it wasn't like, I don't know if they were telling us to pray stuff away more so than like laugh it away. Like, I felt like that was, that was more so like our thing. Like, you know, we would just laugh it away. We would just like tell jokes about it. Um, 
And I sort of thought about, you know, like Dove Comedy Jam and what's the other one? Um, Comic View and that kind of stuff. I just remember how popular that stuff was around that time. Uh, and it was, be- and, and if you listen to most of the jokes, most of the jokes are about like trauma. Um, and and I think our, you know, generation just kind of learn how to like tell jokes about it. You know, like the, like I, I remember in elementary school, we used to, or not me, but kids used to like roast, roast each other. Like that's how they would like deal with conflict instead of uh, necessarily physically fighting. They would just talk bad about each other. But they didn't realize, um, I think, like the the uh, impact that they were having on each other. Because I'm sure those kids would go home and like feel terrible. But they would have to go back the next day and come up with something like even harsher to say uh, in retaliation. So I just remember, I kind of remember like how that impacted people. Um, and then I was sort of thinking as Sheila was talking, I, I was just like, when was my first real experience with like therapy or counseling? I had a, um, a school counselor who I really only met her like once or twice. And it was around the time I was getting ready to go to college. Now, because I came out, I didn't get like my full allotment of like coaching sessions. So the first time I met this woman, she's, I, I was telling her all the stuff I was doing. I was on like six clubs. I ran track. I had like a really good GPA. I was on academic decathlon. Like you named it. Like I, like I did it. And then I was like the president or VP or something of like all those organizations too. So she asked me um, to open this piece of paper and she wrote the, she, when I opened it, the, the word in there was fun. She let me read it to myself first. And she said, when do you do this? And that was like my first like moment where I was just like, oh, I might be like imbalanced. I might be like pretty imbalanced. But I, I mean, I've always been like that. So even in high school, I was waking up at like 6 a.m., getting home at 6 p.m., doing homework. And then like my, like it's just, and I was working. So like my, I've always been like constantly busy. So I had to realize that that's kind of who I am. I think those things are fun to a certain extent, but I've started to schedule in, you know, what other people may consider to be fun too. So I, I had to like figure out what that meant for me over the years when she first gave it to me, I thought, you know, maybe something wrong, something's wrong with me because I'm not doing like the traditional stuff that like the other kids were doing. But I was happy she did that because then that, 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 you know, over the years I've been reflecting on like, what does that mean? But that was like my first indication, like maybe I need to, you know, seek somebody out, out or like talk to someone or find a mentor. Because I, th- I think that's what our generation did. Like we were taught to get mentors or coaches. But in actuality, what we really needed was, were therapists or counselors, but we were just taught to go seek a mentor or somebody to guide us. But um, I think now with the generation who's coming after us, we're more you know, educated to say, yeah, you can get a mentor, but you probably also need to talk to somebody about this. Because like she was saying, like I've had anxiety attacks too. I had my first one in high school around the time that this this person handed me that word fun. So that was when that was like the time I knew like, okay, I do need to to take a step back and find some joy to find a little bit more joy instead of just constantly being on the go. So that was kind of my because I've had some other things. I was I was kind of listening to what Judy said. I have some other things where uh, 
like we just don't talk about them because you know uh, i grew up in a pretty bad neighborhood so like every other week it was like somebody passing or fighting or or something and we just never talked about it it was just like expected to happen so as i got older I started talking to people from my old neighborhood about it. Like, what do you think about this? And I, I, and I see how it impacts them. And I see how in turn that's been impacting me too now. So. Great. Awesome. I have a question. Have a question. So both of you had panic attacks. What did you think was happening? Did you connect it to something? Did it just happen? Out I, of got a- for yeah. I got tested for asthma. Oh. Now I had now the funny part is that the test came back and, was, and said something like I have exercise induced asthma. Now at the time that's probably true, but in retrospect, like I I noticed not what it was. Like it was it was definitely because it was I was getting ready to take a test and I had like the highest score in the class. And right before the test, my teacher had like said like mentioned it, so I felt like a great deal of pressure to like perform well because he had said that. So I remember, and I think that happened to me twice at school, but, but I, I know now what it was, but back then, like, I, I had no idea. I thought, you know, they tested me for asthma, maybe I got asthma. Mine was more like a, I like science fiction, you guys, some of you know, you may not all know that, but I like science fiction and science fantasy. And it almost felt like an out-of-body experience or what I imagined one to be like. I, I'd been worrying. Some stuff had been going on. I'd gone to the store, had not had a lot of sleep, had not been getting a lot of sleep because it'd been the sleep had been just worrying from worrying from stress. And one of the things it ever have you ever felt like you were standing still, like the remember Spike Lee movie camera thing? It's like you're it, for me, it was like I was standing still. In a almost in a bubble, but everything else around me was still moving. But I was separated. And I remember hearing like my heartbeat so loud in my ear. Like that. It was almost like, you know, if you put on a mask and you can hear your breathing, but imagine hearing your heartbeat and your breathing just all louder than anything else around you. And at the same time, it's almost like the world is moving and you're standing still. And it was just sort of this. Uh, it was almost like a tunnel vision because I could see everybody almost as they were moving away from me. And I've heard that people talk about it differently. But yeah, it was definitely, it was an interesting experience. Yeah, it makes you feel like, um, I know what you mean. Like, I kind of know what you mean. Like the the movies where like you're kind of, like it's something around you. Like it's something around you. And like the people are still like functioning normally. But like you're in this like little bubble and like nobody else can see it, see it but you. Well, and I remember thinking when I was trying to come out of it, as I was coming out, like, did anybody else notice that? Did anybody else notice me cracking up inside? And uh, nobody did. I'm still in line. I, I've had to go to the hospital for that before, too. And that and I almost forgot about that. But I was um, probably like 21, 22 or something like that. And I don't remember why. I think I was just, I think I was on like three, four days of like almost no sleep. 
And I don't remember why, why I, why I even did that. I just, I think it was like, I was trying to finish some stuff for work. Maybe yeah, like a site visit or something coming up. And um, I just wasn't sleeping very well. And I remember by the time I got home, I actually couldn't talk. Like I was talking in my mind, but I couldn't like move. I was like paralyzed. And like, luckily my mom and my brother were there. I ended up going, um, to like the hospital at some point to see like they had to make sure I didn't have like a seizure or like a stroke but that was like that was like another one because people don't really think about how how poorly um like panic attack or anxiety attacks will like impact you physically too but I will say that was like the only time I've had that severe experience but that was also um kind of like a big warning for me personally to say, okay, like when you feel this way, you need to just stop. So I do that now. I'll just like check out. I won't do anything. Like these last couple of days, I haven't done any work, but other than build like bouncy houses and an obstacle course later, I'll do that. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, strokes, heart attacks, all this stuff. People don't really link their stuff to mental health, but that stuff is all connected. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. Um, and that just goes into the next question that I have for you ladies. So um, just from your generational perspective, what do you subscribe more to as to conditions of the mental health, um, like therapeutic ways or like the medicine way, going to the medical model, like if someone were to prescribe you something um, or just doing it the therapeutic way, cognitions, behavior, things of that nature? Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, now that I'm getting, like, um, now that I'm so busy, like, sometimes I'm like, I wouldn't mind, you know, somebody's prescribed me something, and then I just, like, knock this out, you know, but (laughs) I also really like natural things, too, so (laughs) I look up, you know, like, teas and herbs and that kind of stuff, I try not to to put anything in my body that that will like really impact me but every now and then I watch those movies and I'm like what is this stuff that lady's taking in this movie maybe you know but maybe when I get like super rich you know maybe then I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know but um what does wealth have to do with it I want the good stuff I don't know what they would give me now <laughs> some of the stuff that's gonna knock you out out right no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I want to be functional. I want to. I want to get to the point where I'm functional and taking whatever they got. Because those celebrities doing great. <laughs> so we think. At least they appear to be. Right. So we think. That's what I, mean. I want that. No, we don't. I don't, I don't want anything I, 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 that is going to control me. And I feel like and once I you start taking medication mm-hmm. and then you get to a point where you can't get off of it. That's what scares me. I mm-hmm. want to be able to manage my own well-being mentally. And once you start depending on something like medication, that's what it becomes a dependency. And so once you, you know, have people have to be weaned off of, you know, medication because they've been on it too long and all that. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine being weaned off something, having um, a feeling of desperation to have it because I've gotten so used to it. So I, I could, I can't even, I, I, I don't want anything like that, that becomes a crutch to me, become a crutch to me, it will alter me in a way I can't control 
you know, because, you know, you my my doctor when I was doing some kind of uh, my my ankle and he gave me some um, some medication that was higher doses that you need a uh, prescription for. And all I'm thinking about is like, what if this stuff is like really good? Because, you know, you get here, people get addicted to painkillers. Mm-hmm. And I'm, all I looked at it was a prescription to a painkiller. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't need to take this. I'll take some aspirin. And or and deal with it, but that's what you hear because you you can get addicted to a painkiller and you don't even know what's going on. You're just taking it because it makes you feel better. But after a while, that feeling is connected to something. And then if you want the feeling to keep going, you got to keep taking whatever the connection is. I'm like, I ain't doing that. So mm-hmm. I end up throwing the the um the prescription of the medication away because I'm like that the pain is that ain't that bad. I can deal with it, you know, until, you know, it goes away. But also the other part of that is when you don't take something to help you, you're also hurting yourself too, because you might need it. Right. You might really need it. And so I also had to check myself with that because if I really need it, I need to take it. But if I don't need it and I can take something that makes me feel okay, then I can do that. Because that's also another part of it is, you know, you're going through your mind, I don't want to be there. I don't want the addiction. I don't want it. But I ain't sitting up here and paying for nobody, you know. So what are you going to do? Okay, let's try to think about it rationally. And that's so that's what I tend to do. I try to think of things rationally. I mean, there was a point where I was on medication, I was taking 15 pills a day. And it was because I had a, a rheumatic fever. But the thing was, I had to learn how to manage my stress because one of the pills was something that was the first level before. If I didn't manage my stress, then they, she would take me to the next level. And she told me herself that the next level pill was it could become addictive. Mm-hmm. And so when I was working, it was uh, working uh, one of my first schools and I was managing crazy people. And so one day I, I kind of lost it because I felt like I wasn't managing it. These people were stressing me out. And then I was taking these pills and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Now all I could think was she told me if I have to change the pills, it could become addictive. Uh, and so I had a breakdown <laughs> at work. And my boss was like, what's wrong? I said, I don't want to take pills. That I and she said, you just go home. She said, just go home. <laughs> and I was like, I was like okay, okay. And so I went home and I had a reality check and I said to myself, you cannot allow someone else to affect you in that way that you have lost total control of who you are. This was this guy who I was managing. He was a total whatever, but I wanted to kill him and I couldn't. And then when you can't do what you really want to do, you're holding it back. And all of a sudden it was just building up. And all I'm thinking was medication, medication, medication. <laughs> oh my God. And I went home and I had to have a little talk with myself. I said, what is going on? What you going to do? And so it led me to a place where I had to start listening to my body. Because, you know, when you're on medication, you ain't listening to your body. All you do is taking the pills. And you, it, what she's saying that you have to be able to tell when you've gotten to a point where you can't take no more. And you either have to pull back and get your mind together or you stay in it and you got to take something to sustain it. Mm-hmm. So I had to figure it out because I was like, I am not. And then that's the 
the crazy, the angry black woman take over. Because understand, the angry black woman takes care of us. The angry black woman gives us a shield and armor that increases our strength so that we become stronger against what's going on. And that's what had to come out of me. I had to like get myself together. I'm like, wait a minute, I ain't letting this take me down. Now what is going on? And I had to fight for my own self. And so I used that reserve of who that woman was to save myself. Cause I'm telling you, it was, it was 15 pills a day. I'm just right. popping pills. I'm, I was like, we ain't doing I'm that. Just say, I might just take this portion of the recorder, like the angry black woman part and just play that. Like when I get in tricky situations, just have Judy's voice with me. <laughs> we, because we look at that stereotype and I, cause I'm, I'm also, I'm watching, um, um, underground. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at these women and how they had to become, and you become a chameleon of change, you know, when we, cause we play this role, all of us play this role when we're at work, you know, if today somebody don't get on my last nerve, I might smile and be charming all day. But if you work my nerve, I'm getting ready to tell you who you are and you need to step off. And then, okay. So I can play those roles, but that's, that woman, the angry black woman that they think they use against us as a as a negative, is really a positive. It's just like calling someone a bitch, you know. And then you say thank you because that gets people to understand who you are and understand I'm not playing with you, and you will back off. And so because that's what they're thinking, you know. Because if you are nice, people mistake a smile and, and niceness for weakness. It's like, wait a minute, don't be mistaken, okay? I'm smiling at you, but I will kill you, I will cut you. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, but that's what I'm saying. It's, and so I had to use that reserve of that person to take care of myself because they were like trying to make me go on <laughs> medication that I didn't want to be on. And I think it's important for you to, to ide- identify your reserve when you need it. Because if you don't, you just fall apart. You know, you're like a mess. And I'm telling you, I work and I didn't like being a mess. I was like, wait a minute. She said, Judy, just go home, just go home. I said, okay. And I get home, I'm like, and then my mother didn't believe in me taking the medication. So I'm living at home with my mama. So when I go home and tell her, and I'm worried about, the, you can't tell her, because the first thing she said, why are you taking the pills anyway? Just pray on it. <laughs> I was like, okay. I don't need to talk to Miss Evelyn about this because she don't understand. So then where do you go? Who do you talk to? Because every, nobody understands what you're dealing with. So that's why you have to sometimes, you take your own counsel. Mm-hmm. You go within and you find your reserves. And so your reserves get you start thinking and get you to pull yourself together and remember who you are. I am a strong black woman and I can handle stuff. But if this young man, this little white boy who I'm managing, don't get his act together, I'm gonna kill him. <laughs> and or I fire. Went, or fire. And I went back to I don't believe don't so say a name right now, Judy. You said what now? If he's gone, just don't say a name yeah. right now. Yeah, don't say his name. I didn't say some of this for you. So oh, I didn't say his name. I, I know his name. I remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I see what you think, what all this stuff brings up. And I, I laugh about it because 
you realize once you start recalling just how strong you are. You realize just how much you've gone through and how much you, you're in one piece. You know what right. I'm saying? You're in one piece after it. And you didn't lose it. In the moment, you probably felt like, you know, I was losing it. Okay, all right. But then you come back to yourself and you say, wait a minute. Okay, now. <laughs> we are not doing this. But that's what I do. I reserve. There's another, and I say the other Judy. You don't want the other Judy to come out, do you? Okay, we're gonna have to, so, gonna have to have a podcast to talk to all of the Judy's. The other now. Judy's. All of the Judy's. We're gonna have different screens up. Mm. But, I'm telling you, that was something. That was something. But yeah, no medication. I don't. If I have to, I won't deny myself. If I, I was gonna it. say, because you you kind of you made me think about something. But what about birth control? Because that's like a medication that we pretty much tell women they have to take now. So, I mean, even when I was in my 20s, I noticed how it impacted me. Like, it made me sadder sometimes or made me like, um, like, I noticed my energy wasn't right. So I had, but we, I don't think we always pay attention to that. Like, when we take things like that, like how it was impacting us. I remember one day I was like, I'm just going to stop taking this and see how I feel. And then I realized it was that that was like causing, causing me to feel like that. And I heard that somebody I knew um, went through premenopause at an early age because of birth control pills. Because mm. we had been on them for so long. And she went through menopause in her like late 20s, early 30s. Because Tell of- me what she was taking. Though. You said what now? Tell me what she was taking. I have no idea. There was somebody <laughs> my age. It was somebody my You stop it. No, I, I don't know. It's... And that's what you're, you're right. We don't think about, or well, at least my time, when we take a birth control pills, and you know, of course you can tell your mom you take a birth control pill. Now mothers will put their girls on birth control. My mother wants to act like it's not happening. She's not having sex. So why we need to talk about that? So when you get to college, all your friends are on it and you have never had sex. And so now y'all are talking about, and I'm like, what a birth control pills? <laughs> Cause in my family, you ain't talking about no birth control till you get to college and all your little free going around girlfriends, they all knew about it already. So that's when I learned about birth control, but I, it was only but for- that's scary that you learned about it on your own. Did you, how did you do that, Sheila? Did you? I'm gonna go back to the mental health question and then we'll talk about birth control. But- <laughs> You know, I I have I work with I work with and I know too many people who can either do a you ask us about the cognitive piece or the medical piece. There are times when both are needed. And I think uh, a thinking reasonable professional would counsel, yeah, if you need medication, because we get imbalance, right? We get imbalance. We don't sleep. We get tired, there are chemical, there are imbalances that occur, right? And, but that doesn't mean that the cognitive, learning to talk through and talk about and deal with the issues that we hold inside are, I I think that's such an important part of treatment. So I think, yeah, there are times when hell yeah, medication can stop you from doing something that you can't back back from, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there are other times and coupled with that though, is I don't think anyone prescribes medication for a person for if someone is having 
um, some mental health issues or anxiety or stress, I don't think they subscribe it for you to be on it forever. It might be something that helps you get to a point level off so you can even hear and think about what might be going on. And then through the cognitive piece, Yara, I think this is your area, right? The cognitive piece helps folks sort of deal with and talk through and figure out and sort, because you've got to be able to think through those things that have impacted you since you were a kid, last week, you know, currently, and then figure out ways to be able to manage those. And, and if we're talking about options for management of how we feel physically or mentally, whether it's birth, you know, birth control pills for that, but, but if we're talking about mental health first, it's figuring out what works best and what brings us joy. You talked about joy earlier on, Brittany. And um, I have talked with someone not too long ago about integrating all my other selves Judy, you were talking about the other Judy. Brittany has heard me say something about the other Sheila or the younger Sheila, remember? <laughs> and so my goal now, less than a week from a birthday, is that phase when I was young and could not control what may or may not have been done to me as other people made decisions. Mm-hmm. As a teenager, sort of growing and developing, as a 20, 30, 40 something year old, all the drama, all the stuff that happens, just the life experiences of trying to make a living and be a decent person. How do I integrate all that? And I think that for me, you know, I, the cognitive piece, if the medical piece is needed, and then also the little things like when I said take a nap. Sometimes I feel much better after a nap. I'm just going to tell you. Um, taking a nap, soaking your feet, <laughs> uh, whatever might work, reading a good book that takes you out of fantasy, going for a walk. Um, even though, yes, you guys heard me talking about getting down in the woods, you know, yesterday and being dog tired because of that two hour rainy walk in the woods. I actually was happy while I was doing it. I was cold, I was wet and tired, but I was happy because it was peaceful and it was nice and I liked being outside. Um, Just annoyed that we went the wrong way and it took too long. So I think finding, we've got to find those things, whether it's, I don't know when you can afford it, getting a few flowers from Aldi, from anywhere. That doesn't have to be the most expensive flowers, right? You can get the expensive ones or you can go to Aldi and get $3.99 a bunch or drawing your own flowers, or just looking at the funny stuff. We do like la- laughter, I think makes us all feel better. We get the, that endorphin release. And right. so I'm mentioning this, you know, I'm, I'm trying meditation, I told you guys that. I'm trying different things. Some of it I've known I liked since childhood, like being outside. Mm-hmm. Some things that I may have forgotten because it was in my childhood that I enjoy, like trying to draw. I don't have your talent, Brittany. Um, reading, writing, just, and connecting with people, connecting with other people that bring me joy and disconnecting. Because I think the other thing is we can talk about those things that make us feel better and Mm -hmm. that can help our our mental health improve. There are some people that we can connect with that definitely do make us feel better. And then there are other people that we need to disconnect from. And I think getting to the point, being able to think clearly enough to decide this person really doesn't bring out the best in me. I don't think I bring out the best in them. And either way, this is hurting more than it's helping. And I need to back away. 
And it might be a job. It might be something else. So there are jobs that, you know, are toxic. And no matter what we do, we can't change it. We just don't have it in the power. We don't have it in our power to change it because it's not our place to fix. So I think there's just a point in this whole, I think it's finding a combination. And like I said, Yara, you ask about the cognitive versus the medical. And, and I think versus also our doing the work to find what gets us to better places, you know, mentally. And as far as things like birth control, and I am not anti-chemical anything. Uh, I like <laughs> what this might be on other people. But if it can help a little bit, go for it. Uh, before we wrap up, because I know probably all four of us have a pretty hard stop today. Um, I thought those were really good points. And you just, you somehow made me think about um, this discussion I went to a couple days ago where they talked about self-love versus self-care. Mm. Um, Cause you started mentioning like some of the, some of the methods, like some of the methods that you use, like the walking outside, the medication, the meditation. Uh, and a lot of people say that those things are like self care. Mm-hmm. And someone was like defining like uh, self love. Like it's, it's how you feel at the end of the day. Like you should, you should wake up and ask yourself or when you get closer to the end of the day, you should ask yourself, um, how do I how how do I want to feel when I lay my head on the pillow? What feeling do I want to have? Because like we go through all this stuff. Like, do you want to feel accomplished? Do you want to feel happy? Uh, but the point is to make sure you don't feel like negative feelings, and that's what self love is supposed to give you. Like towards the end of the day, and I thought that was like interesting because what if we kind of treated mental health like it was self love and not necessarily wow. self care? Because self care is like something we have to schedule. Right. Like it's like the meditation um, that you have to schedule or the exercise. Like I, I have to exercise. It makes me feel good. But um, like what if what if our mental health was self-love? Because we don't really we take care of everything else sometimes, but we don't always take care of our minds. So that was kind of my my thought. Like we kind of get like this. Yeah, I struggled, but I did it. But what if we didn't struggle and we still did it? That was kind of my thought from what Sheila said I was picking up. This was a good discussion. Now we're going to have to do self-love and self-care. Yeah. And I, you know, when you were speaking about that, I was thinking about, you know, I'm thinking while you're talking, I'm thinking while you're talking. And I was thinking that I demonstrate that I love myself through self-care, but then also I feel like when I love myself or when I think about self-love, um, I am reaching back at the places that are probably traumatic and I'm applying that differently. Like, so, oh, Yara, you're not worthy enough. Oh, no. And I'm talking to myself in a different way. I'm more gentle with myself. I'm loving myself. And that's, I feel like that's tailored to, because we can all meditate, but I can't love Sheila the way you get, like her love will look different. Like, cause I have to be gentle with her based on her trauma. So when I think about just self-care, I feel like those are just actions and I can like um, that, through those actions, taking time for myself, I am loving myself, but then also catering to my painful moments. And that can only be done with like, like some introspective, like, you know what I mean? Like my trauma is not your trauma. Um, So I like my bed to look a certain way. I like certain aromas because I love myself. I like my hair, like certain things I do to love myself. And I learn how to we exercise or we combat those negative thoughts through self-love, right? So I have a thing where, I say, Yara, you know, I I have this thought, you can't do that. 
And then I, in that moment, I'm learning to say, to love myself and say, you can do all things. I love you. Like in, in that, in that moment, I just love myself. And it's that, that, that incremental actions of that. I hope I'm making sense. That's just how my mind conceptualizes it. And what I'm actually doing right now, to be honest, is <laughs> <laughs> what I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was really good because I, I think we all kind of have similar views of it, at least, you know, in reviewing like the, the one from last week. I think we, ha- we have some similar ex- experiences in some way. Um, we've all been through some trauma, which is interesting. Um, but look at us now. I think we all. <laughs> I think we're okay. <laughs> we're all here together so that means a we lot we're all here together and we are oh, we are living yes. we're not existing we're living Yeah, you know, because we have identified you know because the pain is there and it's, it's, it's it sits dormant and sometimes it'll surface you know it's just pain and it's there but at least you recognize it you know how to make yourself feel better when it starts coming up you know and you own it you don't disregard it you don't ignore it you say okay I've had you know so like you say Sheila I'm tired and I need to because remember we didn't identify we were tired we kept going and Mm -hmm. we depressed and so when you say I'm tired I've had enough I'm going to rest whereas probably years ago you probably never would have said that you just kept going just kept going. Yeah. Kept going. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that. And that's what I, you know, and that's what I do or take the day off, you know, you know, or not answering the phone. Cause you know, I find myself not answering the phone cause my mother's not here anymore. That would only be the only person I would answer the phone for or be worried about answering the phone. So now I have voicemail okay. for a reason. We have voicemail for a reason. And that's what I do. And I think society tells us we have text, we have email, we have voicemail. If there's a point where it's not as if you can't get back to the person. I'm not saying wait a month or two. Yeah. Uh, if you're waiting a month or two, then you really don't want to have anything to do no, with it. But, but will, will 30 minutes make a difference? Yeah. You know? Or even not it's, today. It's, right. You know, maybe tomorrow. Maybe, you know, that's the good thing about getting older. You, <laughs> that you, you don't have to apologize anymore. Cause you know, yeah. you, feel bad, you know, you feel bad. Now I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. And, and, and it's funny when you, when somebody calls you and you don't answer the phone. And so when they do finally catch up with you or you decide you feel like calling them and they want to say, I called you and I don't say anything. I just keep moving on. I don't make up an excuse. I don't say that I wasn't, I don't say anything. I just keep on moving. Now, if you persist in reminding me you called me, then I might say to you, I am probably not going to answer the next time because I didn't feel like it. So it's it's a it's a wonderful thing. It's like when you get old, you wear purple, you know that book. It's like you wear or wear say, and I used to get upset when my mom would say whatever she felt like. And I'm like, she old now, so nobody's going to be upset at her when she say to somebody, girl, you don't need to wear that dress. My mother would say stuff like that. And I would be so embarrassed. Oh my God. But I realized when you get older, you don't have filters anymore because you're like, I don't have to because mm-hmm. I'm old and I'm going to tell you what I think. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to know, just walk away. <laughs> about, about 10 years ago, somebody asked me like what I wanted to do when I got older. I said, just sit on my porch and yell at the kids in my neighborhood. Like that's my life. That's my like end goal. Like I want to get to the point where I've done everything I wanted to do 
And now I could just yell down the street and like, all right, kid. Like, that's fine. That was- all right. Thanks, guys. Have a good Sunday. All right. Take care.